Welcome to Simply Christian, a podcast diving deep into the essentials of the Christian faith, heresies, and everything in between. I'm Isaac. And I'm John. Good morning, sir. Good morning to you, brother. How are you? I'm great, dude. Awesome. I'm ready. I just had a bowl of peanut butter puffins, and I'm ready (laughs) to get this episode started, dude. Yep, that's the way to start the day. It's the way to start the day. Um, so listen, good morning to everybody or whatever time it is for you guys. But today we are going to be um, discussing something I think very important, um, very applicable. It's a theological question that has a whole lot of practical application to our lives. I find that a lot of people are really curious about this question. A lot mm-hmm. of people wonder about this. And so for you, listener, have you ever wondered how the Christian relates to the many commands of the old covenant? And particularly for this episode, the Sabbath day. Right, yeah. So the Sabbath, you know, it's a very takes a very central place in Jewish orthodoxy, and it has been um, in the Jewish tradition for over 3,000 years. Yeah. Um, so like Jews dating back to the time of Moses, they've observed it um, by as a command by God himself, um, prescribed in the Ten Commandments, and then later on described in the rest of the law. So the real question is, is it still binding on Christians today? It's going to be a good one to tackle. And again, I think it has a lot of practical application because if God commanded his people, um, you know, the fourth commandment, it says um, to observe the Sabbath. It's a Sabbath day. We keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath. It even says um, and to rest on the Sabbath day. We want to do that. If God is commanding it and if it's for us today, we want to do it. But why is it, if it is a command, why is it that some Christians seem to have ignored the Sabbath, right. um, no longer observing it the way that uh, a Jew previous to Christ would? Um, and then you also kind of, to mix it up a little bit, some people have even seemed to move the Sabbath day. And mm. they say, well, we do observe it a little differently, but now it's Sunday and God has changed the day that the Sabbath has fallen on. So how do we navigate through all of this? That'll be the content of this episode. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to it, man. It's great. Yeah, so why don't we start off? What is the Sabbath? Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great way to do that. Um, we got to talk about what, and even just to set it up to just like so you as the listener can kind of like go forward with it. Um, we're going to look at what is the Sabbath, just like Brother Isaac just said. Um, we'll also kind of try to address um, through the Sabbath as we like navigate this big content, as we're talking about what the Sabbath is. We'll trace it through the New Testament in order to see if the Sabbath day has changed. Um, we'll address the big question of whether or not the Sabbath should be observed today? Um, is it for Christians? And then we'll also cover like the, the common objections. Um, so for some of our listeners who really appreciated that, the common objections, uh, we'll, t- we'll tackle that as well, things that people might try to poke at some of the arguments that we've presented so far. But yeah, what is the Sabbath? How are we going to even like begin to frame this up? What does scripture have to say about this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we want to start at the beginning of the Bible. Makes <laughs> sense. So as I'm sure most people know, God uh, in the beginning made the heavens and the earth. And in the first chapter of Genesis, it goes through uh, days one through six, where he made all the various things. Then on the seventh day, in the beginning of chapter two, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. 
So we know from other passages that uh, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here, but Jesus said, um, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. Mm. So God rested, not because he was actually tired, but to set a pattern for us to follow. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Sabbath was supposed to be a good thing. Like who doesn't like getting to have a day off and resting? (laughs) Like this is a, this is a blessing from God. Right. Um, that he instituted at the very beginning of creation. Um, so yeah, so that's where we first see uh, this this rest. That's awesome. Yep. And so um, with that, and I think just a great principle to draw right off the bat is that we have within us, I think, a, a compelling desire to just work, 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 work. We feel like we got to mm-hmm. do, 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 do constantly. And I love the pattern that God sets because it does, um, it gives us, something that we need that we might innately not pursue or feel like we deserve or for whatever reason, but to, to sit and, and say, it's okay to rest. Yeah. God set that pattern. But something else to take note of is that the, the law and even the Sabbath itself, while it was um, shown right from the beginning in Genesis that God rested on the seventh day, um, we don't see a command for it all the way until the time of Moses. Yeah. And while it was there, um, there is never a command, a direct word from God saying, keep the Sabbath, observe the Sabbath, observe this, observe the Sabbath, and here are the ways that you go about it. We don't see that until the book of Exodus. And just a couple yeah. key passages that kind of highlight this, um, a place that will probably be quite a bit today is in the book of Galatians, but Galatians chapter 3, um, right in... Verse 16, maybe area will start. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, plural, and referring to many, but rather to one, and your seed, that is Christ. What, am I sa- what I'm saying is this, Paul says, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate the covenant previous, previously ratified by God. Mm. And so basically what we're saying here is that the Sabbath was given not only after creation, obviously, but even 430 years after Moses, that the law was given. And yes, they maybe were aware of the Sabbath and God resting on the Sabbath, but there was no strict command or prohibition from work. Another passage we can just look at real quick in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we see this as well. Um, In the second reading of the law, Moses stands up in uh, chapter 5, verse 1 of Deuteronomy. Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. Now listen to this. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all of us alive here today. And so this is going to just be important because a lot of people who might say that it is a command to observe the Sabbath because it has, was instituted in creation and everybody who has always existed from the very beginning had the command to keep the Sabbath. These are a couple of important passages to, just to keep in mind as we're going to argue the Sabbath was not commanded from the beginning. It was commanded at the point of Moses and it has a beginning that we can trace through scripture starting yeah. in the book of Exodus. Right on, man. Um, and so what's the first recorded place that we see the Sabbath instituted? Yeah, we see it in Exodus chapter 16, uh, starting in, uh, <clears throat> in verse 23. I'll just read the little chunk here. Morning by morning, they gathered it, talking about manna in the wilderness. They gathered it each as much as he could eat. 
but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to, to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning and Moses commanded them and it did not stink. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat, eat it today for today is a Sabbath and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. the first command that's given regarding the Sabbath. And, and even here, even here, it's, this isn't even the point where it's commanded mm-hmm. for all mm-hmm. the future mm-hmm. for a regular thing to practice. Mm-hmm. This is a one-time event. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do see it just a couple chapters later, it's instituted, but God's just kind of preparing them for it. Yes, yes, exactly. Yep. And then a few chapters later, yeah, we get the, the actual giving of the law and Moses comes down and he has the, the tablets and you see Charleston Heston descending from the mountain. Um, <laughs> and if you have, if you, I don't know if anybody still watches that movie. Back probably, when I was growing up, it was always on. Probably the Ten not, Commandments. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm dating myself. But so we have in uh, Exodus chapter 20, you know, you, the giving of the, the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone written by the finger of God. And now in verse 7, um, oh, I'm sorry, verse 8, you get the fourth commandment. The first one, you know, having no other gods before me, God says, you know, not to make any any idols. The third commandment, don't take the name of uh, the Lord in vain. Yahweh's name in vain is something to be kept holy. But then the fourth commandment is this, and this is the biggest chunk in the Ten Commandments. Um, a lot of ink, <laughs> they weren't using ink, but it spilled on the fourth commandment more than any other of the commandments. So he says this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and and six um and the earth the sea and all that is in them and he rested on the seventh day therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and made it holy and so here is the beginning point that we would argue that we see that the sabbath instituted as a command in command form prohibiting various activities on the sabbath in a command form so much that we later see that there is a death penalty attached to this yeah we see that we see that death penalty in numbers 15 Uh, it says while the people of israel were in the wilderness they found a man gathering sticks on the sabbath day and those who found him gathering sticks brought him to moses and aaron and to all the congregation Mm -hmm. they put him in custody because it had not been clear what should be done to him? And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. Mm. Yeah. It seems, from our perspective, kind of harsh. I mean, mm-hmm. the guy was just doing some extra work on the Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's something bigger going on here that I'm sure we'll see. Absolutely. Yes. And so this is also, I mean, really, what uh, I think we, we see the heart of this in uh, Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, um, 
start right at the beginning. Um, the Lord spoke again to Moses, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. And now in the rest of this chapter, you're going to see various days and festivals um, as these appointed times, these holy convocations in which one ought to not do any work. And these are commanded celebrations. But in this, we start, he starts off right with the with the Sabbath. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest. Again, you get the repeated um, command of what to do and what not to do on the Sabbath, the fourth day, or I mean the seventh day, the fourth commandment. And then he says this, it's a holy convocation. And then he says you shall not do any work, it is a Sabbath, but the holy convocation here is a, a gathering. We see people are to gather on this day. This is a day unto the Lord that you do with um, the corporate collective body. Yeah. It's a holy convocation. And you have other holy convocations as well, you know, the um, the Passover um, and, and uh, various festivals, um, three a year where the first the, all the males are supposed to go to Jerusalem. Um, these, are, these are annual things, but Yahweh God also instituted every single week a holy convocation as well, something to be participated in with Israel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so true. And just to just so we can like see God's heart behind it, Isaiah 58 talks about the Sabbath being a day to delight in. Mm. It says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Mm. So the Sabbath is supposed to be this day of blessing and goodness that we love, you know, that it's made for us mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. take pleasure in. But when we reject what God has given us, um, there's some serious issues with that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. So now I think that kind of frames up what the Sabbath is to kind of get a picture of God's heart um, behind it, and we hope that we framed that up well. Now we could just to give more clarity when when is the Sabbath? You know, is it does it matter what day of the week it is as long as it's one one day, or could it just be any day, or you pick or you decide, or is there one specific twenty four hour period where God is specifically talking about? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's the seventh day of the week, so that'd be, uh, and from the Jewish standpoint, that would be Friday night at six p.m. through Saturday at six p.m. because their days started from six to six. Mm -hmm. So um, Friday evening into Saturday evening, that's the Sabbath day. And even a scripture on that, we got Leviticus twenty three thirty two, um, is to be a Sabbath of complete rest to you, and you shall humble your souls on the ninth of the month of the evening. And then it says from this, from evening until evening, you yeah. shall keep your Sabbath. And that just goes right back to Genesis when it's the right. first evening. Um, in the morning. In the morning or the first day. Yeah. And that's, it seems like that's God's pattern for the day. The The day begins in the evening, which is kind yeah. of counterintuitive to us and the kind yeah, of the Roman yeah. calendar system and time frames and stuff like that. Our day starts at midnight, which even that's kind of weird. Yeah. I think day starting at midnight, but... God's saying the first half of the day is the night, and the second right, half is going right. to be the light portion of it. Yeah, we even <laughs> see a little bit of that in the burial of Jesus. 
mm. because the next day was going to be a Sabbath day. Mm-hmm. So they needed to bury Jesus. You saw the rush, you know, the rush to bury Jesus before six o'clock yeah. when the Sabbath day started. Right. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so uh, we also see this too, if we're just to even move into the New Testament a little bit, um, we see the book of Acts, which is written you know, 70 AD, I think some people maybe even said it's a little later, 80, but um, in that time period, but nonetheless, quite a bit after, decades after the new covenant, after Jesus died and rose from the dead, uh, we see them continually using the word Sabbath. Um, Paul goes in and argues with the Jews on the Sabbath. Paul and Barnabas head to the synagogue on the Sabbath, the Sabbath, the Sabbath. And so, um, Luke, the writer of Acts, doesn't shrink back from using the word Sabbath. He's still calling the seventh day the Sabbath. Um, and so some people have argued from that, that this is them saying nothing's changed. And so we'll unpack that as this episode progresses. But we want to just argue here that the Sabbath is the seventh day, and mm-hmm. that has not changed right between Sunday. But what are some passages maybe that make people think it has changed and you know, it's moved to Sunday, you know, we get a few passages like that that some people might cite. Yeah, good question. I wish I was prepared and had that pulled up. <laughs> I know somewhere it does. I think in in Acts, there is a passage that describes uh, the church meeting on the first day of the week, which would have been a Sunday. Yeah. Um, and from that, and the fact that the early church did gather on Sunday, that was the tradition and the reason for that is because of the resurrection of Jesus is pictured by the eighth day, the day of new creation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's a theological reason behind why people started gathering on Sunday, the eighth day uh, or the first day of the week, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, but biblically speaking, there is no evidence whatsoever that the Sabbath transferred to Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that one passage in Acts that talks about the church gathering on Sunday is descriptive of what happened. It's not prescriptive. It's not prescribing what we're supposed to do. It's describing what happened. Right. Yeah. That and it's that passage, um, Acts twenty verse seven. It ah, says, "Look at you." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it says, "On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending uh, to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. And that's when the guy, you know, Paul preaches such a long sermon. The kid upstairs falls from the window, <laughs> and then he raises him from the dead. But you know, um, you have this maybe argument that some people say, "Well, see, the, the church was meeting on the first day of the week." But as you just said, Isaac, that this is descriptive. It would be a lot to really for this passage, a burden for this passage to carry to say. That means now that the Sabbath has changed and it's moved to the first day of the week. It just says that they were meeting on the first day of the week. I don't think we can really try to draw much more out of it than what it says. Right. You get also First Corinthians chapter 16 um, talking about the collection uh, for the saints. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. Listen verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections may be made when I come. And some people might say, well, you know, here's the first day of the week. They're gathering their money. They're setting it aside and they're probably putting it in some sort of a collection box. Why would the first day of the week be the best day to do that unless they're actually meeting first day of the week being right. Sunday? Which they were. Yeah, they were which they were. Exactly. But yeah. I think to draw, like you said, more out of it to say, so therefore, it's we're going to take this as a command for everybody to wor- worship and on the sun. To say Sunday. that it's now replaced the Sabbath is even a 
yeah. further stretch yes. to say that. Yeah. And so just to make you aware of some passages that some people might bring forth and saying that it is a command to worship on Sunday, I think, and, and Isaac would agree, it's great that we do, yeah. and we don't have any qualms with it. It's right. a wonderful thing and a great tradition, and hopefully we'll be able to talk about that coming up, but um, to not overemphasize this too much, but just to say that we're not against Sunday worship either. Right, uh, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, that's what our church does, and Lord willing, um, if we plant a church, that's what we'll do too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yep. And so f- moving on to this, and this will be hopefully the heart of it, is the biggest question that we can really get at today is now that we've established what the Sabbath is, when the Sabbath is, the big question is, does the Sabbath day still apply to us today? Are we still under the Sabbath command? Yes or no? How do we handle this? Mm, yeah, that's good. Well, you can kick it off, dude. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what the argument that we want to present here is that absolutely, yes, um, the Sabbath still applies today, but though, not like you might think. Um, under the old covenant, what the Sabbath looked like was at Friday at sundown, um, you had already spent the whole day of preparation, preparing for the Sabbath, um, preparing extra meals, getting extra all these tasks done, so that on the Sabbath you could just have your schedule completely cleared for you and the Lord to a day to worship um, and enjoy Him and enjoy the fellowship of the fellow believers. I'd argue that all of this in some ways still applies today, and I want to try to flesh this out so if you guys can just kind of like just put on your thinking caps so I can explain this, but that the law still does apply today to the Christian since the law is perfect and it is from God. However, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law, and he perfectly fulfilled the letter of the law. And so we see this in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law. Not one jot or tittle, one little stroke of the pen is going to fall. But he's come to fulfill, he says. I've come to fulfill. He's not to abolish, but to fulfill. And so we'd emphasize that word fulfill, that in Jesus' fulfillment of the law, this has changed the believer's relationship to the law. We now observe it through Christ in the spirit and not the letter. And so a couple passages, just to kind of just look at real quick in Romans. Um, they both say the same thing, so maybe we'll just look at one of them. But Romans chapter 2, um, in verse 29, uh, says this, But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praises from men, or not from men, but from God. The other one is in Romans chapter 7, verse 6. Um, And this is specifically talking about the law, not just circumcision, but it says, um, but now we have been released from the law. Very important. We've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And so Paul seems to be making this differentiation that now in Christ we're freed from the law, but we still serve and we... Uh, observe the law in the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. And so I want to give an example of this, just so you guys can get your head around this. For example, the the laws relating to animal sacrifice and for forgiveness and for atonement in the old covenant. There was a bloody covenant of, of blood with Moses um, instituting the sacrificial system, and we even saw a present beforehand, a covering for our sins. We'd say, sacrifice sheep, goats, and the like. 
These were good and they were right and they were holy. And just because we're in the new covenant, we're not just throwing this all in the, in the trash can. But we in the new covenant don't sacrifice animals. And again, it's not just because we have thrown the whole old covenant in the trash can. Instead, it's because Jesus has fulfilled the sacrificial system. And now when we come to Christ, he is our one for all time sacrifice. No more shed blood is necessary. And so I'd argue that this is exact, the exact same thing that's happening with the Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath rest, just as he is our sacrifice. He's our animal sacrifice, but he is the spotless lamb. John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We don't need to sacrifice anymore, but it's not because we've thrown away the sacrificial system, but because the sacrificial system has been fulfilled. So the same thing with the Sabbath. We're not throwing away the Sabbath. We're actually keeping the Sabbath actually better. Yes. We're keeping it now as we are resting ourselves in Christ, just as we're keeping the sacrificial system, but far better than any Jew in 1000 B.C., We're now keeping the Sabbath far better than any Jew in 1000 BC as well with the giving of the Sabbath. We just observe it differently in Christ. We observe it through Christ. Observe it in Christ. Yeah, let me me read a passage that pretty much explicitly says what you just said there. (laughs) Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow, a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. Amen. The substance of the Sabbath belongs to Christ. Mm-hmm. Sabbath day commands, all that stuff, were a shadow. They were supposed to help us get a glimpse of mm-hmm. Christ, but now that Christ has come, he is our rest. Amen. Amen. Yes. And so I like that whole, and I hope that we can spend a little bit of time on this maybe right now is, unpacking the shadow versus substance idea. Um, and I know you had a passage that you want to read in Galatians 3, but just to set this up a little bit, you know, if, if, if I see my wife's shadow coming around the corner, I'm thrilled. The shadow is a good thing. It is showing that my wife is coming without the shadow. If she's not there, she's not casting a shadow. And so the shadow can really give me a great uh, excitement. It's a good thing. It takes her form even. It matches her form. But it's not my wife. As soon as my wife comes around the corner, if I were to jump down and hug her shadow, she'd be like, wait, I'm, I'm right here. I'm going to look to her, not to her shadow, once she has come. And so the shadow is a good thing. And so we're not, we're not um, putting down the law. We're not putting down the Sabbath. But we are going to the substance of the thing that casts the shadow, which again is Jesus Christ. Mm. Yeah. Amen, dude. Amen. It's awesome. Uh, Galatians chapter four. So, so this is kind of uh, this has to do with the the law in Galatians, of course. Like that's the, Paul's whole argument. But as as we've seen, the commandments for the Sabbath wasn't until the law. So, um, let me uh, let me read this passage. It's a few verses long, but I will read it because I think it's important for us to grasp this. Um, chapter 4, verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, 
so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are, you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son to your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Mm-hmm. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Hmm. So it's interesting that throughout this book of Galatians, Paul, now that the law has been fulfilled in Christ, it's not that the law, he, he's, not, he's not downplaying the law in the sense that he's saying it's imperfect, but by observing it, without observing it through Christ, it's, it's weak and elementary principles that it's, it's sinful to do that mm. without observing it through Christ because it's, it's blasphemous, mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. Um, at this point, now that Christ has come, mm-hmm. especially seeking, like these guys were doing, seeking justification, seeking righteousness through these works of the law. So we see that with the Sabbath, Paul mentions days, months, years, all this stuff. Um, like there's a way to observe the Sabbath and it be okay. Mm-hmm. But, and that would be if you're observing it in line with the creation covenant um, or, or just the Old Testament prior to Moses, where it's just a day of rest, mm-hmm. but it's not commanded. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a pattern to follow. Mm-hmm. But once you start observing days or other laws in the mosaic way and saying that it's binding on your conscience to do so mm-hmm. that is an extremely dangerous place to be mm-hmm. and it and it does um, dismantle the gospel mm-hmm. right yep and you see that nowadays and just a quick thing of uh, application um, if you meet somebody who's seventh day Adventist and, and not to slam seventh day Adventist so hard because I've met some you know some some nice ones and some great ones I've done Bible studies with and things like that. Um, or you meet somebody from the Hebrew Israelite movement, you know, um, the, the black Hebrew Israelites, um, you know, Israel United in Christ, these types of groups um, will really bind it upon a person to say, not only do I keep the Sabbath, but you need to as well. If you are going to call yourself a Christian, you need to keep not, not only the Sabbath, but all various components of the law. Um, and yeah, we're, we're going to argue Paul here is saying you don't go back to those weak and elemental things. We're in Christ. And I want to talk about a passage that is important in this discussion, Romans chapter 14. <clears throat> um, and I'm sure we'll make, make our way back to Galatians as well. But Romans chapter 14, another passage that I would say read the whole chapter. I want to look at a few verses in it. But here we have Paul starting off in the first four verses talking about, you know, one person uh, has a weak conscience about eating meat, so they eat only vegetables. The other one eats meat, and each one should be kind of convinced in his own mind as to his own master that he stands or he falls. Let them observe the Lord speaking to them through their conscience. But now picking up in verse 5, though, it says, One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Every day in one person's mind, every day is alike. There's no one day that's above another. Excuse me. Every day is alike. 
Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind, Paul says. Now, verse 6, he who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives to himself, and not one of us dies to himself. And so reading this, and especially this whole passage in context, you have this congregation that Paul seems to be speaking to, mixed of Jews and Gentiles, and the Gentiles are seeing every day alike, and some of the Jews maybe have this same conviction as well, understanding that not there's not one day set above as greater than the rest of the days. But there are some who still kind of say, like, it's bothering me to not stop work on the, on the seventh day. I, I feel like I need to observe it and observe the Sabbath. And Paul's saying, if that's what your conscience is telling you, observe it. Observe it to the Lord. You're doing it for the Lord. While this other person is not observing it, where would be crossing the line is for me if I'm the one who observes the Sabbath to now say, you're not, you're outside of the faith because you are not keeping the Sabbath and you are not a true Christian. And I'm now going to excommunicate you and bind Moses's law on you. I think a very important thing to remember is that you don't need to be a Jew to become a Christian. And that's one of the things that the, ch- the, the church really wrestled with in the beginning. Um, we even see in the Bible, you don't have to become a Jew to be a Christian. But in the same sense, you don't have to cease being a Jew to being, being a Christian. And so if there's a Jewish person who's converted who has an issue with pork, we don't have to say, we're going to throw you a pork party and you have to eat <laughs> this pork in order to become a Christian because you're not under the Mosaic law. And so we need to sh- test you to make sure you know that. So start eating some pork. If they don't want to eat pork, we don't have to make, they don't have to, you don't have to stop with your Jewish convictions to be a Christian either. But at the same sense, that Jew who's not eating pork and observing the Sabbath should never look at his Christian brother who is eating pork and observing the Sabbath and say, well, you need to be like me, a Jew, in order to be a Christian. So I think it right. cuts both ways. It does. And Paul yeah. is really trying to flesh this out for Christian unity here yeah. in this passage. Yeah, that's awesome. That's good, good. Um, another uh, point, to, well, to wrap, to kind of put a close on that, the stuff about... Uh, about all that, read Galatians. Just read the book of Galatians, read the book mm-hmm. of Romans, mm-hmm. and those two books will just help understand, help you understand the relationship of the law to us, but also how to live at peace and balance with one another um, amid those different convictions about things. Yes. Uh, important point to bring up. <laughs> the, uh, in the, we're under a new covenant now. And in this new covenant that Jesus established, there are certain commands in this new covenant that are very similar to the commands of the older covenant Mm. of the law of Moses. What is very interesting is we are never commanded anything regarding the Sabbath in the New Testament directly. The only thing you could draw implication from is the fact that Jesus is now our Sabbath and we are commanded to trust in him mm-hmm. and rest in him. And therefore, if you want to view it that way, then yes, <laughs> we are commanded <laughs> to keep the Sabbath and that would be trusting in Christ. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, there there isn't anything that commands us explicitly to follow the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other nine out of the Ten Commandments uh, are repeated. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Yes. And I think just to get our heads around this, because um, this example has helped me. Um, and Paul similarly uses something like this at the end of uh, Galatians chapter 3. But um, he uses a tutor and um, Christ. A tutor is meant to lead us to Christ. But now that Christ has come, we're no longer under the tutor. But imagine just in our context, a school bus and school. You have this school that you want to get to, but without a school bus, you have no way of getting to the school. I think the law, one thing that uh, Christians have nowadays done is they've made the, cast the law as a bad thing. It's awful. Um, it had no purpose. And again, we've kind of discarded it. And I think a lot of people on the other side have been like, no, the law is good. What are you doing? And so in this analogy, the school bus is good. The school bus leads us to school. But the school bus is going to have some rules that are very, very different than the school itself. Yeah. You're on the school bus. You got to wear a seatbelt. You know, you got to um, stay in your seat. No walking when the school bus is moving. Um, the, the windows, no throwing things at other cars, things like that. But there, once you get to school, you can get off the school bus and leave and enter into the school you can unbuckle you can unbuckle but i think what some people do is they sit in the school bus and they say no the school bus is good i can't get off it's good but no we're saying the school bus has actually fulfilled its purpose we can get off the school bus and go to school now in the school like you were saying there's going to be some rules that are exactly the same don't uh smash windows don't uh, punch adults don't uh you know throw things at your fellow students. Right. You're going to have similar rules in the school and the school bus, but that doesn't mean that we're still on the school bus. Mm -hmm. We're free to get off the school bus because, and actually in getting off of the school bus, we have acknowledged that the school bus is far better because it yes. has fulfilled its purpose to lead us to school, mm -hmm. and that's exactly what the law has done. We could not even ascertain our need for Christ had it not been for the law. The law... Paul repeats over and over in the writer of Hebrews, over and over, the law was good. The law was to lead us to Christ. Thank God for the law. But now that Christ has come, we're no longer under the law. Mm. In the same way that once we've arrived at school, I don't try to sit in the school bus or even try to bring a seatbelt into school. You know, if somebody yeah. wants to, that's, you know, they can bring their seatbelt in and bring it to school. But the moment they start telling me you need a seatbelt in school, I'm going to say, well, I don't. <laughs> I don't need a seatbelt in school. I'm not on the bus anymore. And so the same thing I think happens yeah, as we're dude, parsing great, out the law. That's a great analogy. Um, <laughs> I agree. So, I mean, we could heap up passages. This is another one that I just think is important just because it does talk about that those two tablets um, of, of stone that we talked about from Exodus chapter 20. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And it call, it calls the the stones some the, the the Ten Commandments some things that might make a Jew cringe, and I think that's Paul's intent. Paul wants Jews to cringe at what he's saying here. Now it says, um, in, starting in verse seven, chapter three, verse seven of Second Corinthians. But if the ministry of death, well, let's actually back up a little bit to verse five. Not that we are adequate in ourselves or consider anything is coming from us, but our adequacy is from God who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Again, not of the letter, but of the spirit, he says. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now listen to what he calls this covenant, this old covenant, these 10 commandments. But if the ministry of death 
in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory on his face fading as it was. How will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even with more glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory, past tense in this case, has no longer glory is has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. And so a couple things just to draw. Mm-hmm. He calls it a ministry of death. He says it's fading glory. It had glory. But it doesn't just stop there. It says that now we have a new covenant which surpasses it. It's far more glorious. And so this referring specifically even to the the two tablets, the Ten Commandments, not just the law, but specifically to that, he's saying this has served its purpose. It's passing glory, not that it was bad, but because God has now ushered us into the new covenant um, in a beautiful, beautiful picture. But again, this would make a Jew and a Hebrew Israelite today very much cringe as they read this because Paul is saying something very drastic here and he wants to drive a point home that we are under the new covenant and we've arrived at school and now we can be free to get off the bus because again, Christ has fulfilled the law on our behalf and so we do keep the law but we keep it in a far greater sense, in a heavenly sense, in Mm -hmm. the, the spirit, not the letter. Amen, dude. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, what do you say? Common objections. objections. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, let me throw one at you. Um, So this is is a good one. I think I I like the heart of this. We all love Jesus, obviously. We want to follow Jesus. He carried his cross for us. We want to carry our cross for him. Now, question is this. Jesus observed the Sabbath. So shouldn't we? Aren't we commanded to be like our master? Yeah. Amen. Hey, that's awesome. So he did keep the Sabbath. He kept all of the Mosaic law perfectly, even down to wearing the fringes on his clothes, Mm -hmm. Passover supper he observed. He didn't eat pork, Mm -hmm. didn't wear mixed fabrics. Like he kept the law perfectly. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Because Jesus kept the Sabbath, it is that's the very reason we don't have to keep the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. It's because he did. Mm -hmm. Because he's the fulfillment of the law. Mm -hmm. So because he fulfilled the law, that is the very reason why we don't have to. <laughs> so by trusting in him, and, and and again, like we're under a new covenant because he fulfilled the law and died. So his, the new covenant doesn't start until his death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. That's when it starts. He said, mm-hmm. the new covenant is in my blood. Yeah, right. Right? Right. So the blood doesn't pour out yet. Though he does give hints and kind of gets people prepared for the new covenant during his earthly ministry. And he has the right to do so because he's God. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but... uh but yeah, so that's what I would say to that. Amen. Yeah, right. And to take that argument to its extreme, yeah, like, well, if we're going to be like Jesus observing the Sabbath, and we should also be wearing fringes, not wearing mixed fabrics. Right. Because yeah. that's what he did. And like you, you, you brought out. Um, but yes, I love that. He fulfilled it on our behalf. And yes, that's good. That's good. Um, cool. Well, let me give you one. Okay. So. What about the fact that Exodus 31 verse 16 says the Sabbath is a perpetual covenant? Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Let me read that um, just to add the emphasis. Um, So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath 
to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. And so someone might argue, yeah, this is perpetual. There's no end to this. It's ongoing ever and ever and ever and ever. Um, A couple things I would point out here um, that God is speaking to a specific people, um, that he's speaking to the Jews in the desert on their way into the promised land, that he's speaking to them in a specific time. But also, as we've been saying, that we are not throwing away the Sabbath. To us, it still is a perpetual covenant, but now we are observing it again in Christ. And so we're, again, not discarding the Sabbath, throwing it in the trash can, but now in Christ we are observing it more fully. And so we would say amen to this passage. It just looks different um, to us. But again, if we're going to take that argument to its extreme too, as far as uh, we need to do everything that the Jews did when it says that it's a perpetual covenant, um, there's a lot of things that we don't do that the Bible, that the old covenant says was a perpetual covenant. Even things that the new covenant itself says we explicitly do not need to do. Circumcision, for example. Genesis chapter 17, verse 13, God says this to Abraham, A servant who was born in your house or who was bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Now again, this is ongoing, but when we read the book of Galatians, Paul explicitly says that circumcision is not a binding thing upon believers in the new covenant, and that those who even teach that they you have to get circumcised, Paul's like, just cut it all off. I'd rather you just lose it all, because you're, you're teaching this doctrine that you have to bind something from the old onto us in, the, in, the, in this new covenant. But even with this, though, we would argue in Christ, we are circumcised, our yes. hearts. And so we're not, yeah. again, throwing away circumcision. We are keeping it, and we're keeping it in Christ. And this goes back to that repeated phrase, not the letter, but in the spirit. And so we are keeping this in a very spiritual sense in Christ. We're not seeking a circumcision of the flesh to identify as a person, as a Christian. We're seeking circumcision of the heart. Has this person been had a, a radical transformation, sur- heart surgery made by the hands of Jesus Christ, circumcising his or her hearts. And so that's how we would answer that, uh, you know, perpetual covenant. Because there are a lot of things like that. There's some things too, the, the, the table of the showbread is to be, be a perpetual covenant, but nobody has showbread in a, in a tabernacle that they're constantly mm-hmm. keeping freshly baked there every single day. Yeah. Um, but again, we do, in a spiritual sense, that Jesus is our bread. He's Even in a physical way, the uh, the Lord's Supper. Yeah, exactly. We partake of the bread and the wine. Right. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's... Yep, yeah, and it just, there's a lot it, of ways the New Covenant fulfills it. Baptism with circumcision. Yeah. You know? Right. Like, there's a lot of, a lot of different correlations... Even physically, mm-hmm. not Even, just spiritually. Yeah, that's true, right? Yep, and harkening back to a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, <laughs> to not disdain all of the physical, tangible yeah, stuff. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. Exactly. Cool. Um, so how about this one? Um, does that make Sunday bad? Um, are we saying Sunday is a bad, bad thing now? <laughs> yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Why have you all been sinning going to church on Sunday? What is wrong with you? Oh, man. No, Sunday is not bad. Um, so this, there's a couple things we would want to unpack here. So first of all, um, we do have evidence in the Bible that the early church did meet on Sunday. Mm-hmm. They met actually pretty much every day. They did. It said they met <laughs> right. daily in each other's houses. Mm-hmm. Many times the different churches did this. Um, so... The early church was more so a community that lived together many times. 
than it was just a place where you would go. Um, although that was definitely an aspect to it, and it depended on where you lived. But Sunday was an important day, and especially as church tradition develops, um, there's theological reasons given to why we're meeting on Sunday. Number one, the number one reason is because the Lord was raised mm. on a Sunday. Amen. That yep. is the number one reason. Yep. And uh, it's seen as the eighth day, not the first day necessarily, although it's the first day of the week, because there's only seven days in the mm-hmm. week. It mm-hmm. is looked at as the eighth day by the early church, the day of new creation. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, there's some theological reasons why. However, it's never explicitly commanded in the Bible, um, not directly to the whole church. There is a command for, like you mentioned in Corinthians, for them to gather their, you know, do the thing with the money, the collections mm-hmm. on the first day of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a far stretch to say that's a command that everyone needs to gather on that day, mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And yeah, so what I would say is Sunday is not bad. You can gather on that day, and I think there's good reasons to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not explicitly commanded, and in fact, we should be gathering more than just on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's not, tradition isn't bad, and this is this is yeah. where I would kind of differ from people who hold to a strict what's called the regulative principle of worship. Meaning, if the Bible doesn't explicitly command it, then we shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I and I, I don't think I'm all the way on to normative either because there are some. I, I would say I'm more normative than regulative, but mm-hmm. to, and to unpack those terms, sorry for <laughs> just <laughs> randomly saying that. A normative form as opposed to regulative worship is normative says um, you can do anything in worship as long as it's not forbidden by the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Regulative says you can't. The only things you can do in worship is what is explicitly given in scripture. Right, um, but I think kind of kind of ironically, if you're going to hold to the strict regulative thing, then it's kind of hard to justify gathering, always gathering on Sundays. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm, eh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, so Sunday's <laughs> not bad. Paul said, you know, whatever day, just be convinced in your own mind that you're, you know, this is for the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Right, so, right. Yeah. And if we're looking for commands, then the the closest thing that we get to a command of what day to worship on is Paul says whatever day you want, yeah. <laughs> in a sense. He says some, yeah, some, every day, <laughs> every day, let each be convinced in his own mind. That's a command statement. And so be convinced of it, you know, like, yeah, if you feel like Sunday is the day, then do it. If you feel like every day is alike, then do that. Yeah. Um, but again, we're not saying it's a bad thing. It's a oh, wonderful, no. we love it. I want to keep that tradition. I'm not, yeah. I have no intent on changing that. I yeah. think it's a beautiful thing. If There's someone said, for here's it. some keys, we're going to, and some money, we're going to, we want you guys to plan a church. I'm sure we'd say, all right, we're going to meet on Sunday. Yeah. That's, that's sure, a good thing. Yeah. 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 Exactly. It's, a, it's a great thing. Um, so, yep. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Well, let me ask you one. Didn't the apostles constantly go to the synagogue on the Sabbath mm-hmm. after the new covenant? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a good one. I When I was meeting with Seventh-day Adventists um, or a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, this was one, not the only argument that he had, but one of the many. He said, uh, and I think it's even like in the book of Acts, it's like, maybe 70 times or something like that. They have a certain number where the, the word Sabbath is used this many times in the book of Acts, and there's the emphasis because it's after Christ and the new covenant. What were they doing going to the synagogue on the Sabbath? And why do they continually say the word Sabbath? Um, now, just just right off, first thing we would say, this is narrative. Narrative um, as opposed to a command, a binding command upon Christians um, that they must observe is much different 
um, there's a lot of narrative. You know, Paul got on a ship and, you know, <laughs> went to Crete. We don't see Christians needing to do that. It's just what Paul did. They were describing and we're going to follow right. it along. But if we're going to look at more like um, strict things like um, days and, and seasons and things uh, that they observed and did, um, we would look at, you know, a few different passages. One is in Acts chapter 3. Uh, we can look at a passage here where um, Acts chapter 3, uh, right on verse 1. Sorry, uh, so Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour on the hour of prayer. Here's a narrative where Peter and John go to a a place of worship, the temple, at a very specific time, the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Now, we don't do this. And again, because I think we understand this is narrative that's happening here. Um, It's describing what they did. And why did they do it? Surely this is what they've done for a long time. This is what they do, and this is part of their weekly habit and their routine. Um, So why not do it? They don't have to stop just because they're in Christ now. When we see Paul and Barnabas going into the synagogue to argue with the Jews, maybe they just had a habit of going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. That's good. But also another reason is that's, that's where the people were. That's where the people that they wanted to share the gospel with were. And so why not? Um, if I go to the 4th of July, a 4th of July festival, and I want to go preach there to the masses, I'm not arguing that every Christian needs to keep the 4th of July. It's just John's going there because it's a strategic place to where there are people, and he wants to go to share the gospel mm. with a collection, a large group of people. Pre-COVID, of course, probably now there's no, 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 none of that going on. But, yeah. um, but anyways, I, Paul is going to this place for a reason, because he wants to share the gospel with his fellow Jews to show them that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that they've been looking for, and he wants to convince them of who Christ is and share with his people. And so him going there doesn't mean that now Paul is saying, I am going, observing the Sabbath, and now you should too. And that's important to draw, and important for us as we're reading any book, really, um, of the Bible, a difference between narrative and what's commanded. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I guess, I mean, we kind of touched on that, but just can you say like, because some people will use this argument and there's even a picture I've seen go around where it's like the Ten Commandments and then some white guy, you know, in uh, (laughs) the modern church uh, with (laughs) crossing out out the the Fourth (laughs) Commandment. And it's just like, nope, we don't do that anymore. But obviously, we we can't kill, you know. And like, just just how do we speak into that, you know? And I know you already did touch on it, but just yeah, maybe like flesh sure. it out. Nine, you only keep nine out of the ten, but you keep the other nine. Like, what's up with that? Right, right, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, for the first thing to say is number one, the only reason we are keeping the Ten Commandments is because they are they are repeated in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. We're not; they're not binding on us, mm-hmm. like any mm-hmm. commandment. In the old co- covenant, the only reason we would keep it now is if it is commanded in the new covenant. That's mm-hmm. the only reason why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the only nine out of the ten, those nine are explicitly repeated in the New Testament. But again, even there, we are still honoring the Sabbath by resting in Christ. Mm-hmm. He is our Sabbath, and we are honoring the Sabbath more than people who merely honor the day. Mm-hmm. as Saturday, mm-hmm. and keep the commands. We're honoring it more because we are honoring its true purpose, mm-hmm. which is Christ. Mm-hmm. Amen. So we actually have the higher view of the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the law. 
Yes. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that wraps up uh, today's episode. So uh, thanks for tuning in and uh, consider subscribing. And until next time, guys. Bye.